They would want to uh, get us to be compliant, uh, to do whatever they say. Hello, this is Dr. Chad Hawk with Matt Dowd, and we are Renegade Atlas, charting a new path for your life. Today on our show, Matt, we're going to have a special uh, guest, somebody I've known for a long time now, like probably coming up on 15, 20 years, I would imagine. How old are you? Yeah. <laughs> Next question, please. Um, but uh, Rob Schilling, and Rob is... Um, from Charlottesville, Virginia. That's where he's originally from California, but uh, he's in Charlottesville, Virginia now. He has the Schilling Show on WINA, at least I hope it's still on WINA. Uh, used to yes, be. Yes, still there. Yes, still there. Great. Still there. And uh, Rob has, uh, I mean, we used to go to Bible study together. I've been on his radio show. Now I, I'm so blessed to be able to have him on our podcast. Um, you've appeared on everything from the BBC to Drudge Report, Blaze, Fox News, you name it. You've, you've won all these awards, superior awards for best investigative reporting from the Associated Press. I mean, all of these things, Rob. It is such a joy to have you on our show today. Welcome. Thank you so much. And you know, it's really interesting for me, who's usually on the other side of the microphone to spend some time and to answer questions uh, and, and talk about what I'm doing, but from the point of view of somebody else who's interested and wants to know, hey, what's going on here in Charlottesville and how does that affect the rest of the nation? Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna hit you with a question from the very beginning yes. that you may not have expected, but um, the, specifically how, what your take is on how the media has begun the manipulation of the public, and I've seen this occur for years and years and years, but it seems to really amped up recently. Do you have um, any thoughts on that you'd like to share? Yeah, so I'm really concerned when I see the media and uh, the, what I call the media overlords are taking away people's options to access information. And uh, most recently I have posted some information without, without an endorsement uh, with a disclaimer to do your own research, but the reason that I posted it was because I wanted people to have access to it so they can draw their own conclusions. I get very nervous when the media and uh, politicians start removing certain things from access by the public because they have deemed it uh, somehow unacceptable, it didn't pass their, their censorship, and I think that's a very dangerous position we're moving into. I also think that the media is in collusion uh, particularly with uh, anti-freedom activists, uh, very clearly uh, with the pro-socialist agenda inside the Democrat Party, and there are probably some Republicans who are complicit in this as well, but it, it's definitely the mantra of the Democrat Party that they would want to uh, get us to be compliant, uh, to do whatever they say, and uh, I think the America that we have known growing up is an America that's rapidly disappearing as we speak, there's a lot of threats to our First Amendment. They're trying to make this into threats uh, to the Second Amendment. Uh, there are, of course, threats to what I would call free and fair elections now because there's a lot of attempts to undermine uh, the process by which votes are being verified and to go to, uh, for example, same-day registration or you're automatically registered as soon as you get your driver's license. I wonder what's next. Are they going to drive up to your house serve you breakfast in bed, and then collect a vote. <laughs> this seems to be where we're heading. 
Well, Rob, um, you're, you're right on every one of those. The, um, the, I think I call it, I'm referring to it as digital book burning right now. You know, it's like, if, if we don't like it, we're just going to delete it and we can make it so no one will ever know it was there or it ever happened unless you took a screenshot, right? It's gone. Right. I, I uh, posted well, it's something. Exactly. Uh, I'll give you an example, Rob. I recently, last weekend, I just took a screenshot of the CDC numbers for the COVID crisis and I posted them on my business Facebook page. Very little commentary. It's just like, these are the recent numbers as of whatever. And then two hours later, it's getting grayed out by these quote unquote fact checkers and is blocked from anybody else being able to see it. And it was directly from the CDC website. You know, that's really remarkable, but I think it goes to show that there are people who are, are if not zealots, at least overzealous in what they're doing in so-called checking the facts. They may be looking more at who you are or who they think you are as opposed to what you're posting and saying, hey, if this guy says it, if this organization says it, if this group of people is behind it, we're going to shut it down. I I wouldn't put it beyond these people. And I think that it's a very dangerous situation that we have these entities like Facebook and YouTube who are able to act, they don't have to decide between publisher or platform. They're able to act in both ways with the benefits of both of those and neither of the downsides because they haven't chosen to make a choice or they haven't been asked to declare themselves one or the other. So right now they're judge, jury and executioner. So that's really important. And for a lot of people won't understand the nuances what you just talked about there. Do you know enough to explain a little bit of that for us? So there's responsibilities that go along with it. So if you're a platform or a publisher, uh, one of them, a platform, you might have a say over what's going on uh, but, but you really have to let everybody speak equally. As a publisher, you're taking responsibility for what's up there. And so there's different rules that would go with either one of those. Uh, one of them has a lot more liability than the other one does. The other one's a lot freer, but uh, these people are really straddling, I think, the, uh, the line between the two and trying to cherry pick the benefits of being a publisher and a platform at the same time without living up to their responsibilities. One of them would come with greater liability. The other one would have less liability and greater freedom. So they've got to be able to choose or to make a choice publicly. Unfortunately, there are very, very few options. Google owns YouTube. That's the big overlord. The second one would be Facebook. And so while people have attempted to start alternative platforms that maybe go back to the spirit of these places when they started, you know, how do you get people to go to a place where no one is? I mean, you, if you don't get a mass exodus and you go to this place, and I've tried some of the alternatives, and I go there, and I'm like, I, I wanted it to be successful, but there's really no one here. And so what's the use of my time in an echo chamber? And I'm not being critical of their efforts. I'm just saying it's a hard boulder to push uphill to start an alternative place for people to go. Yeah, there would have to be a mass exodus and people moving to that platform. And then you also run the risk of it being an echo chamber for everything that you like. And then eventually you're going to tick off one person and then it's going to get, you know, it's going to replicate itself potentially. Yeah, I think it's the unhealthy state of things today. 
you know, I, I really try in, in these places, even on Facebook and YouTube, to give a lot of latitude to people. I don't tolerate the foul language or the, the threats of personal attacks and so forth. But if somebody wants to hold a different opinion than what I do, as long as they keep what I call a civil tongue in their head, I've got no problem with those sorts of discussions. I think we've really gotten off the path. As you just said, if we go to a place and all of a sudden, like, we tick somebody off, they get so mad that they're like, I'm never talking to you again. What's the point of that? I, I kind of think of this as, you know, if we look at the interactions that we have sometimes in our automobiles versus how we would be if we were standing in line at the grocery store. If someone like stepped in front of me, I'd be like, oh, excuse me. But you know, someone cuts off in the car and I'm not in a human to human, but I have this car around me. You know, I might be more aggressive. I try really hard not to do that, but I know it's a problem for some people. But I think that it's the same thing online, even magnified beyond, because the problem is, you know, we might see someone typing something, but people are acting out of passion. They're not thinking before they post, and then someone takes it the wrong way. We can't see what the human interaction is. We can't see the facial cues or the body language or the tone of voice. It's why we even before this had to be very careful with email. Because in email, you have the same problems, but at least there, you, know, you have a little bit of time to type the message and think about before you press the send button. A lot of times people on social media are reacting right from here or right from the gut, and I'm just gonna get this thing out there, and then like, hey, once it's out there, it's very hard to rescind. Yeah, and the, uh, the art of the apology is also pretty low right now. <laughs> I have to say- Yeah, it's I, a I, real challenge. I actually had um, that occur recently, and we uh, there was a medical doctor, and I, uh, she, and I were having a discussion on Facebook, very, um, very different point of view, but very respectful, and yes. I, I felt very good about the conversation and the way it was going, how we were both able to respect each other's opinions and not, you know, belittle each other. And the next day, I got a direct message from her apologizing because she felt like she was too critical. And I thought, I just sent her back. I said, no, you were, it was actually a healthy discussion. It was so mm -hmm. wonderful. People could read it and recognize we were being very respectful. And she says, it was so hard for me because I normally would never talk to somebody I don't fully agree with. But I was able to talk to you and I disagreed, but we had a good discussion. And she goes, I didn't know how to resolve that. And to me, that's very telling of our culture. We, we've lost the battle. Go ahead, Rob. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right, Chad. And, and we're, we're having to relearn the things that we, as a culture, uh, were brought up with. I mean, you know, I remember growing up in school and I went to a public school, but, you know, my parents taught me that you have to be able to listen to people and to have conversations with them. And you can't just react when somebody makes you mad by hitting them uh, or, or putting them down in a, in a way. I mean, there's certainly a time and a place to defend yourself. But if you're just going about having a conversation, this is classical liberalism. This is the way that liberals, and I use that word in the classical sense of previous generations, hey, they wanted everybody's voice to be heard. And these days, people who are on that side of the aisle have lost that classic element of conversation. So you look at places like universities or even online as you reference, and people are like, wow, if I don't like what I heard from you, I want to shut you down. There was a guy here in Charlottesville within the last couple of years, and you know all the problems we've had here in town. And, and he comes from a family of classic liberals. He went before the Charlottesville City Council, and I think he's a very 
intelligent person. He does not have godly wisdom, but he has a lot of knowledge. And he said, we must stop this mindless defense of the First Amendment. In other words, if I don't like what you're saying, or if the government deems what you're saying to be wrong, the First Amendment needs to go out the window. And this was just astounding to me that somebody like that, who I know has an education, would have that point of view. You know, um, one of the things that Matt and I always go back to is identity, who you see yourself as, right, Matt? That's ex- yeah. I mean, that's exactly where I was thinking as well. Yeah. Some, some elements of that, for sure. Yeah. And Rob, I think that we, most, uh, no, no, that's wrong. Many people have not ever been in contact with their identity and certainly not their identity that the way God sees them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was even thinking and maybe want to get your opinion on this, Rob, of like, have we lot, um, has it become a thing where we're getting our identity from the groups that we associate with or the ideology that makes most sense to us. And so then if someone attacks or even just tries to criticize or deconstruct any part of our ideology or the group we, you know, connect ourselves with, then it feels like, maybe even unconsciously feels like we're being attacked personally. And that's why there's this type of reaction that we're seeing. Yeah, Matt, you make a really good point. And I think people are having this kind of, this kind of identity politics. I remember years ago when I was running for my second term in Charlottesville city council, and I was being interviewed on, on the public access TV, along with my two opponents who were sitting right across from me. And the interviewer looked at me and she said, who are you? who is Rob Schilling? And I didn't have to think long. And my answer was, I'm a child of God. And Mm -hmm. I just left it there. And she was like, and and she's she's a Christian. So she got what I was saying. But I think my two opponents were like, what does that mean? You know, they they wanted to find some identity that they could latch on to that, you know, is like, I I support this, a political agenda or something like that. I'm like, that's who I am. That's where I find my identity from. And beyond that, I have opinions. I try to be wise about things. I try to research the things and not talk about things that I don't know about. But at the core, I'm a child of God. And I think if more people would just have that identity in their creator and, uh, and in eternity, that uh, we, would, we would have a much better world. But you know, if people are, are latching onto things out of desperation because they're so fearful that this is the only thing they can hold on to to protect, whether it's global warming, Uh, that they're afraid of, or they're afraid of some sort of uh, catastrophe like the one that we're facing right now, we can understand the desperation not only of their speech or their wanting to shut other people up, but also of their behaviors and actions, because I think we're seeing a lot of desperation today and the sort of acting out that we would not normally uh, affiliate with people who have a a godly point of view and uh, are centered in their heart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It kind of it makes me think of like a drowning person, you know, and I've been in a place in my life in the past where I was drowning and didn't really know it. And it's like you lash out, you act out, you flail around, you know, your actions and stuff aren't necessarily all that rational. Because you're in right. So that's what we do. Mode. Yeah, right. Yep. I, I so think it's, it's a really. Yeah, I just I just want to say it's a really good point that we recognize, that we know, you know, as, as much as, you know, we, we have peace in our hearts that we can get into the places that Matt just said, all of us have been there before and we may go there again, but that we realize that the people that we're dealing with, uh, how desperate they must be not knowing the peace of God 
that, you know, that, that causes flailing. And it's very hard for us sometimes to relate to that. So I think always to the best of our ability to hold compassion and willingness to discuss deeper and, and who knows where that may lead. But I think it's, it's an important thing for us to always realize in the context of our conversations. I was just thinking, and, and I haven't just digested this yet. I, maybe this won't make sense once I say it, but I was thinking back to the prophets of Baal, how they would sacrifice people and infants for the sake of appeasing a God that they couldn't identify, had never seen. Um, they built man-made altars to, and they attributed good or bad things to how they would just sacrifice human life on this altar. And it seems like today we're willing to do the same things with freedoms. We're doing it with uh, e even, even people in ways, you know, who becomes yes. worthy of living or not living. And I'm not necessarily um, pointing the finger at an abortion or not abortion. I'm talking about, you know, if you're older than 70, you don't get care. You know, uh, you, you're, you can't seek healthcare anymore. And that's something that's been forefront with the whole COVID-19 deal. If you're too old in certain countries, you could not receive care unless you were wealthy enough to employ your own private physician. And, and well, what, yeah. what are we willing to sacrifice? Well, I think, uh, Chad, that this is, you know, this was the fear of, of Obamacare. And I think it, it's, it's borne out that people were worried about the uh, what they call the death panels, you know, where you would go before these groups and they would try to, to uh, quantify the value of your life based on, in many instances, how old you are. How many good years do you have ahead of you? Should we put your, the, these limited resources because of the constrictions that that particular plan put on the whole system? Should we do direct limited resources now towards people who are younger and have a, a life ahead of them? However, on the other end of that, and you mentioned abortion, and I'm going to bring it up because I, I think that it's, it's entirely a child sacrifice at the altar of convenience. And so we're doing that in the society as well. It all ties in together. So if youth were, were ultimately the goal, then we should be for putting forward all of the resources towards preserving life from conception. And yet we somehow, maybe we have a magic window somewhere that's like the ideal age or the place where we're going to put our resources. But for us to pretend that, you know, you're putting groups of people, whether they're in insurance companies or a collusion between a, a big corporation and government, to put our lives in their hands for them to decide the worth of my, my uncle, my parents, my older neighbors down the street, whether or not they can live. That's to me just as dangerous as us putting our speech in the hands of yeah. a YouTube or a Facebook and saying, well, you be the arbiter of that. It's the same sort of thing. It really is. And when you think of it through the lens of scripture, um, you can say that everything will work itself out. <laughs> you can say that. Uh, some Christians actually take a very back backseat approach to it. Others are on the absolute cusp forefront of, you know, protecting religious freedoms, protecting all freedoms. Um, it is an interesting time because I think at least in the United States, we're facing a, a level of scrutiny and restrictions that we've never seen before. Yeah, it's really true. And so th there's this interesting dichotomy that you brought up about Christians. And I, I have a lot of people 
who uh, are, are very critical of me as, as an outspoken Christian who has, uh, you know, this platform for the past 13 years on, on radio and also online where, um, you know, I, I speak uh, very openly and critically about certain things that are going on in our society. And so there's people who I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what their relationship is with God, but they're cultural Christians perhaps, who are very uh, offended by the things that I say as a Christian. And then there are other groups of people who are so happy that someone is willing to speak out because it's not their calling. And I understand that God has given me a voice and has, has grown uh, my, my ability to speak out. I was a very shy kid growing up. And so he's given me through the Holy Spirit what I need to be able to speak out forcefully. So if I'm able to represent a lot of people who feel this way, but feel there's no one speaking out on their behalf, or they just don't want to put themselves on the firing line, and I understand that, that I can serve that purpose. Um, you know, I'm grateful that God's given me the platform to do so, but it, it, it's a real issue, and people have to figure out, they have to work it out for themselves. You know, what is my part in this? Um, how, how am I to react to the things I see around me? You know, for me, it was never just sit back uh, in the basement and just wait for the rapture. You know, for me, it was like, hey, I got to be involved in, in these cultural wars and, and let people know what's going on. You know, we, we host on a, a, a program on a secular radio station, but I have a lot of Christian topics. I have Christian authors on there, the very well-known people like Joel Rosenberg and some of the other Christian authors that people would know have been guests on my program over the years. And uh, sometimes at the end of the conversation on the secular radio station, they'll do an altar call. And I love it. I love that they do that. And I love that God has protected me in this place and with this secular surrounding that we could have a conversation like that is absolutely remarkable. Yeah. I, I think there's a quote that you'll, you'll know who it comes from. Um, we both know who said this. Is you is or is you ain't? Um, <laughs> well, I do know who said that. <laughs> is you is or is you ain't? It's a uh, Southern Virginia saying. Um, and it was talked about in a Bible study you and I used to go to. I don't know if you still go or if it's still meeting. I still go. Oh, wow. We're meeting on Zoom. Oh my goodness. Fantastic. So yeah. Wa Kreeler, who is, uh, who was, a, he's a retired federal court judge. Um, he used to say that, you know, are you part of something or are you not? You have to make that choice. Is you right. is, or is you ain't. And I love that saying because are you committed to it or are you not? And it was the, the, kind of the rule Virginia person's way of deciding, you know, are you going to be for it? Or are you not going to be? And I think that's the question we have to ask ourselves today. Are we going to stand on the truth of scripture and the be bold enough to live a life that's an example for others where the Holy Spirit is allowed to manifest your God's identity in you and make the fullness of you really be revealed and others can see that or are you going to retreat into what you think you need to do and create this persona that you're adopting based on culture? Yeah, it's a challenge for people. And I understand the difficulty that people have. And so I think what God has provided us is the opportunity to be involved in various, and I'm just going to use the word ministry. Some people may not think of what I'm doing or what you're doing as a ministry, but it really is. 
some, you know, not, not everybody is going to be uh, hosting a radio show or they're going to be doing a show like you're doing right now. Not everybody's going to be taking mission trips, although I know you've done a lot of them and, and, and that's something that you do, but not everyone's going to do that. Some people are going to sit in, in the church and maybe they're going to prepare meals for somebody and that's where God's called them. Some people like me would be a worship leader in church, which is something I love doing and I just it's such a, a great joyful ministry, but not everyone's going to do that. So there are many opportunities and I want people to realize that not everyone has to do the same thing but to, to, to pray about what your calling is and then to follow it uh, faithfully, I think, is the, is the key for every person to find their place in, uh, in God's ministry plan. God's ministry. Yeah, I'm, yeah, totally. Well, so I've just been sitting here thinking, like, if someone from, let's just call it an opposing viewpoint, you know, whether it was other side of the aisle or other side of the fence in whatever regard were to listen to this episode, you know, what? Like what kind of olive branch could we extend them even, you know, and we're not trying to take sides here. That's not really the goal of the show, but you know, it's easy to see how somebody listening to this could probably decide if they agree or disagree with our general sentiment here. Right. So I'm just thinking of the identity issue. I feel like what we can offer people is to say, you, you know, you're not just wrong. We're not just saying that you're wrong for attaching your identity to your belief system, right. Or to this, these ideologies. But what if we could help them see their identity, like their value as a person, and then find out what's redemptive about what, like what they're passionate about? Does that make sense? Like help them to actually sort through it and see, you know, what is it in me that, um, that is good that I should pursue and what maybe should I let go of? So I, I guess it always, yeah, yeah, go ahead. It, it always start, it always starts with prayer. And, uh, and being reflective and being open. I mean, I, I know a lot of times in my life when I wanted to say no to what God was calling me to, there was some little voice inside me, which I now recognize as the Holy Spirit that said yes. And when I've given my personal testimony, I talk about going way back to the rock and roll days back in the, in the 80s and, and 90s. And then I got invited by a church to go in and play music in a church. I'm like, I don't really see myself like that. I was a Christian, but I was still learning my way. And I'm like, I don't really want to do that. And I did. And it led me to wonderful places in my life. It led me to being a school teacher for five years, which got me used to, to children, which I hadn't been around as an adult and didn't want to have kids. And all of a sudden it's like, I can relate to children, but I wanted to say no to that. And that led me uh, being around kids and, and teaching these large classes to be comfortable speaking in front of people, which led me to be able to run for public office and address people in large and small groups. And I kept saying no to myself, but inside the spirit was prompting me to say yes. And then, you know, when, when I was going to, uh, looking at running for reelection, knowing that my chances of being reelected were very slim, I was convicted one night by the Holy Spirit, just woken up from a dead sleep, which has never happened to me before or since, and said, you've got to run. And then I lost. I'm like, what was that all about, God? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I was willing to say, yes, you've got something here. And it was within a few months that the radio station called and offered me something I had dreamed about for my entire life, which was being a radio host. I never thought I would have the opportunity. And I said yes to that. And so all along the way, you know, getting past myself and my own fears and just being willing to, to listen a little bit and then to take the step out, even though, 
you know, the flesh part of me said, no, I don't want to do that. So I think, you know, every person can benefit from that. And I'm sure there were times in my life when I should have said yes, and I didn't. But I think of these major milestones and the times that, you know, God gave me these opportunities. And despite the fact that I really wanted to say no, I said yes anyway, and how well it has worked out in, in my ability to just communicate these wonderful things that God's put on my heart. Yeah. Rob, um, maybe we can circle back around. And if there's any, anything that you're aware of that people can do to help filter what perhaps they hear through the mass media or the news that perhaps there's a lot of fear that people have. Um, what advice do you give to listeners of your show? When they hear, you know, the, the world is ending, you know, doom and gloom and everything is collapsing. What do you tell them? Well, first off, I, I want people to, to, uh, to watch out the amount of media that they're consuming, because this is not good for the heart for a lot of people. God's given me a supernatural protection where I can kind of put myself in the middle of all this stuff, not really be rocked too heavily by it. But I know a lot of people who just have like, you know, they have the cable news on 24 uh, seven, just yeah. in the background, they're constantly listening to this stuff, or they're constantly tracking down news stories. And sometimes it's just overload. Sometimes what you need to do is you just need to get out. You need to interact with individuals on a one-on-one -on -one or one-on small group basis. Find who you can help. Who needs my help today? There's so much good in the heart for that. And so I, I think a, lo a lot of it has to do with, are we just overloading ourselves on consumption? For the other things, for the times when we have consumed things and we're not sure about them, you know, there's a lot of information out there, and I think we're entering into a stage and an age right now. Uh, you've obviously heard of the deep fake videos where we're not even going to be able to trust our eyes. They're able to create things that are so realistic that someone says in their own voice on video that's not true, that we're no longer able to discern or it will be very difficult to discern. So what do you do if you find a printed source somewhere? Can you trust that? If you hear me say it, can you trust that? Can you trust anything that you see in a video format now, which used to be, hey, show me the videotape and I'll take that to the bank. It's no longer the case. We're going to have to rely more on prayerful discernment and less on the things that we see in front of us going forward. It's kind of a scary step for a lot of people because we want tangible evidence, but we have to be willing to fully rely on God. And that goes back to scripture. Faith is yeah. the evidence. Yeah. You know, That's right. things unseen. Yeah. Hey, I had a question, just kind of like a specific question, circling back to something you said kind of in the opening about um, there being ties between, oh, I don't remember exactly if you said anti-freedom or some of these groups and the media. Could you just expand on that a little bit? I'm curious about it. Sure. So I, I look at all media through a very critical eye. Uh, we have CBS News at my radio station, so I hear these news feeds coming in at the top of the hour. Uh, in, our, in our daily newspaper in Charlottesville, uh, there, is, there are local writers, but a lot of the news is coming through the Associated Press, which has awarded me, but I've got issues with the Associated Press. So I'm reading through these stories, for example, in the newspaper, and I'm reading through them line by line and, and breaking them down for people and saying, you know, this is being presented as news. But the, the, uh, the assumptions that are being made by the reporter uh, in talking about certain political figures or certain issues, 
They're making assumptions which may or may not be true or may just be a point of view that they're putting across. And people read that if they are not looking with a critical eye, they will just assume that it's true. And I've seen so many times when it's not, or I've heard the reports on the national news about things. And particularly when we talk about Charlottesville, because you know we had a lot of news happening here a couple years ago. And there were things that I knew to be true that were not being reported accurately. And I'm thinking, what are these people doing? Are they doing this on purpose? Are they trying to spread a narrative for another purpose? And uh, you know, for, for me, you know, I do my best to call it out, but there's such a volume and avalanche of this information and sometimes what I would call either disinformation or slanted information, which is intentionally trying to get people to change a behavior or to change a strongly held attitude, which is really dangerous. And so, you know, we have to all consume all of this with a critical eye and a critical ear and know that the, the, uh, the news organizations that we have trusted for many years uh, may no longer be trustworthy and we better look at everything critically. There you go. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, it seems like the only writing that I can read recently that really makes me happy, <laughs> and yeah. it's, sadly it's been pulled out from underneath me, is baseball writers. If they're a homer for a team, you know it in the narrative. <laughs> Otherwise, they're just – and it's like, it's still just baseball, you know? <laughs> you know? It, it, and, and now um, when you read articles, the premise that it comes from – is flawed to begin with, but the whole case is built on a flawed premise. Doesn't mean it's, it doesn't matter whose perspective it's from. It can be a false premise and then everything after that is just, what do you do with it? It's presented as fact and it starts from the wrong place. You know, it's interesting that you bring this up and I, I haven't followed sports for a long time, but as a kid, uh, my dad used to go take me to see uh, the Dodgers a lot in Chavez Ravine. We would go to the Coliseum and watch the Rams play. We'd see the Lakers in the fabulous forum and the Kings in the same venue. And I'd sometimes go to, to Angel Stadium in Anaheim. Uh, so it was great. And I remember that that was a place where you could get away from everything and you could just go, okay, this is just fun. It's fun to watch. You root for the team. Uh, the players were at least on face value uh, fairly wholesome. And a lot of them were held up as role models, and rightfully so based on their public face. And so recently, things like sports have been corrupted uh, by a political correctness and by politics, which never should have been affiliated with these sports. You look at the NBA bowing down to communist China, and you see some of these things, yeah. and you go, you know, this used to be a getaway, and now it's been corrupted by the things of the world in the same way that everything else has. So it's really sad because we want to be able to just go to these places and leave all those entanglements behind us. And whether it's entertainment, which for many years has been uncovered as a bastion of, of godlessness and leftism, uh, to, to now sports, which is very clearly uh, going down the same path, you just wonder, you know, what is, what is the refuge? Where can I go? And I mean, we know that we can always go to God's word and, and we can be listening to worship music and, and try to get away from that. But in just the things that are around us, the things that God gave us uh, for joy and for good purpose, entertainment, um, you know, it's very hard to find anymore. When I'm watching some of the, uh, you know, when I want to watch a movie with my kids, like over the weekend, we watched Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which I hadn't seen since I was a kid. And I was trying to find something that I knew was going to be unobjectionable 
And I, I had to go back all those decades to find something that I want to sit down and watch with my kids because everything has become so corrupted and, and in many ways, obviously so, to, to reach a certain point in society or, or to cause a certain disruption to where we had been. Yeah. Well, Rob, um, thank you so much for making time. Uh, we're going to put in our show notes links to your uh, theshillingshow.com. And then if the, you can listen to Rob's show directly from his website, the Shilling show or shillingshow.com. Um, and if people wanted to contact you, if they have any particular questions, uh, there's links there, how you can get a hold of Rob. But Rob, thank you so much for number one, your friendship over the years and for allowing me to serve your family at different times and uh, for coming on our show today. Yeah, really good to have you, man. Matt and Chad, it's been a pleasure. And, and I do thank you. When you say serving my family, you were there at a very critical time for us. And I really appreciate that. I've never forgotten it. It's always a pleasure to connect with you, even if it's years in between. I'm so glad that you invited me here today. And I just uh, pray for God's blessing in your continued efforts, both of you. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. <laughs>